welcome to another episode of Triumph and Tierras. I am your hostess, Suzanne Proxa, business strategist and coach for female entrepreneurs who are purpose-driven and looking to make a major impact in the world. This podcast is my passion and is intended to showcase women who have overcome obstacles to hopefully inspire and empower all of you to do the same. And now on with the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Triumph and Tierras. I am super excited to be here today with Joyce Blue. She is an absolute delight, and she has an amazing story to talk to you guys about today. Uh, She has dealt with marital abuse and divorce and has come out on the other side with an absolutely amazing uh, outlook and attitude. And so, you know, if you are a listener that, you know, has been affected by this or this is something that you're, you know, unfortunately starting to get into, I think you're going to really love this episode. So Joyce, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Suzanne. It's great to be here. I'm super excited. So why don't you tell us about your, you know, your story and and how you got to where you are now? Okay. Um, Well, I was raised in a very um, strict household. Um, My dad was an ex-military sergeant. Mm. And yeah, <laughs> drill sergeant for a dad. It made for a very interesting childhood. Um, he was also an entrepreneur. So at 14, he had hopped a freight train and went to California because he lived in a small town in Missouri. And he said the only thing to do there was to get drunk or get in fights. <laughs> wow. That wasn't, you know, the kind of child, or, you know, place he wanted to raise a family. So he joined the CCCs back in the 30s, which was the California Conservation Court. It was very big during the Depression, trying to um, get economic stimulation going. And then eventually he entered the military and met, married my mom. And by the time I came along, they uh, lived in San Jose, California, and he owned a very successful upholstery shop with a partner. And So I had a very um, great childhood. Um, We were comfortable. Uh, I had a polarizing money story, which I know you're big on money. We can talk about that some other time. Mm -hmm. But um, I had three older brothers. The closest one to my age was 10 and a half years older than I was. My mom had two miscarriages in between he and I. He hated my guts. um, But... My middle brother, I was born on his 14th birthday, and uh, so I felt very special growing up. He had, um, his name was Vic, and he wanted a baby sister for his birthday. He told my mom he wanted a sister, and um, I obliged nicely. Not only was I a girl, but I was born on his birthday. So um, anyway, I had you know, kind of one of each, again, polarizing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I was pretty fearless when I was a kid. Um, I was never the most popular kid in school. I wasn't always, you know, picked first. There was many times for sports I was picked last. But, you know, it was at that point, it was just kind of like, whatever. I wasn't real, you know, hung up on that. Um, As I got into high school, um, I had a boyfriend and um, his parents had moved away and left him there because he was almost 18. So they left him in California. They moved to Oregon. And eventually we got engaged. And I, we got an apartment. I didn't live there, though, because I was, lived in a very strict household. My parents would have had no part of me living with my boyfriend at that time and walked in one day to a girl sitting on the floor wrapped in a blanket in front of a space heater 
And so that kind of ended that. It wasn't physically nor mentally abusive, but that was a real blow at that young age to kind of think, well, I can't really trust men, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of moved on from that and um, changed jobs because we worked together at the time and um, then met this guy at the new restaurant I worked at. Um, I was a hostess. He was the cook. I worked day shift. He worked graveyards. But, you know, he would stay late. I would come in early. And um, (laughs) so we just connected and, you know, started dating. Uh, I was young. Again, I had been raised in an economically healthy household. So I didn't think to ask about um, why do you live in your friend's garage and do you have a bank account and all these other things that, you know, are kind of important to ask. Uh, my dad didn't like him, but my dad didn't really like anybody that I dated. So that wasn't really a red flag to me. And I was just in love. You know, he was uh, dark hair light-colored eyes, all the physical, you know, when we're young, you usually have that physical attributes list, right? Mm -hmm. So I could go along and check them all off. He was handsome. He was funny. He was attentive. um, And so we got engaged. And just before, probably about two or three weeks before the wedding, he kind of started changing and acting weird. And I was, he was like going out a lot more with his aunt, which I thought that was kind of weird, you know. Um, They had a pretty close family, but it was just, you know, it's like, why are you spending more time with your aunt than me? Um, I figured he was just nervous. You know, when we're young, we think we can change the world, right? Mm -hmm. And um, shortly before we said I do, I found out he had gotten involved in recreational drugs. And because I didn't want to disappoint my family, and I figured things would get better after the wedding, and that, you know, he was just nervous and everything would be okay. So we got married and it got worse and um we had had I had put him on my bank account and all my money started to disappear mm-hmm. and of course he had an explanation for everything and he started to become physically abusive and I um was just really devastated. Um, I started to change and to become withdrawn. I didn't want my family to know. I didn't want, instead of, you know, reaching out for support, um, I just kind of started to go to my parents' house less, go to my brother's less, talk to everybody less. And, of course, then the abuse got worse. And every time, if anyone's in a physically abusive relationship, you know, anytime you challenge that other partner with anything, um, it, it's like striking the match and dropping it in a you know, bonfire with lots of gasoline on it. It's just not a really healthy thing to do. Yeah. Um, so as I because I had previously been um, to where, you know, I didn't take crap from anybody, right? So I, looking back on it, I'm not quite sure how I reconciled it in my mind at that point, other than I had said, for better or worse, so I figured I dug my grave, I needed to, you know, stay there and just try to 
keep my head above water. Um, about six months into that relationship, uh, we had had a big blowout. And the next day, I had that little voice inside of me trying to tell me again that, you know, I didn't deserve any of the abuse that I was receiving and that it wasn't me. And But, of course, you know, at, when you're in a relationship that's like that, you've been beaten down and you've beaten yourself down and you're very fearful of what he may do to other people and all of that. And so it, it's like this perpetual cycle of, of ugly. And so I questioned him again about something as he was on his way out the door and kind of followed him out onto the driveway and I knew he had to leave for work. So I didn't figure that at that point I would be in any physical harm. And he said to me something that left me standing there with it ringing in my ears, which was, you'll never leave me. You need me too much. And he got in the car and he drove away. And I stood there for a few minutes. And I started to cry. And that little voice inside me said, you don't need this. You've done nothing to deserve this. You would have never put up with this before. You don't need this guy. You don't need this relationship. You know that your family loves you and that you have people that will support you. And you don't deserve to be beaten like this. And so I am grateful to him for those words because it took probably about 35 minutes or so and I grabbed my car keys and I was shaking like a leaf and I got in my car and I drove to my parents' house and I told them what had happened and what had been happening and they actually knew, which shocked me because my dad was always very protective, but of course he was trying not to exasperate a bad situation as well. I always tell people, don't, if you know somebody that you love and care for is being abused, don't keep it a secret. Don't not say something to them. Because that could be the very thing that they need that empowers them to be able to make that break. So I borrowed my dad's Pinto station wagon <sighs> and I drove to the house and I proceeded to take all my furniture that I came into the relationship with out and all my clothes trips back and forth to the house, but, you know, I knew when he was going to get off work. And that was the day pre-cell phone, so I didn't have to worry about him calling me on my, you know, on the phone. Um, he figured I was going to be going to bed, right? So I was able to just get everything out of there, and by the time he came home in the morning, um, I and all my belongings were gone. And I knew I would be safe at my parents' house. And I had a job, so I knew that I was going to be financially okay. And I would have been okay even if I didn't have a job at that point. Mm -hmm. But the job was very empowering because, you know, I knew financially I wasn't going to have to rely on my parents. And within a couple of days, I had my own bank account just abandoned the other one. There wasn't any money in it anyway, but um, had abandoned the other account. Um, it opened a new one in my own name and uh, had moved into a home with people that I worked with 
because I knew at some point he would show up at my parents' house, which he did, but I wasn't there. Um, my, <laughs> my dad, uh, in not so many words, told him not to ever show his face on the property again. Uh, he had told my dad that if he didn't let me stay there, I would have to return to him. Oh, wow. Um, so it's it's just, that whole thing is just very interesting. Looking back on it, now I can laugh. But, you know, that was a very scary time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I really understand um, now and can help empower my clients that are in that situation um, or have you know, are trying to leave that type of a situation. Um, women that do leave a lot of times, then they, especially if they have children, um, you know, it's hard and it's hard for the kids and it's hard for them and it can be super scary. Um, I've also in the second one, which I'll get to, had to have an order of protection, but there are agencies and people out there that can um, help you if you reach out to them. So I was single for about seven years. Um, I thought I was okay after I left. And for a while I was, but, you know, then it's like, you know, you, you have this, you know, I failed. Right. Okay. And at that point um, I wasn't, really hadn't been, I had done a few personal development things before I had gotten married, but nothing since then and nothing directly after that. And I think that's so important for us to always be working on ourselves. And that's really helped empower me. Um, and as you cut away the negative if you don't replace that with something in that little voice, you know, inside of you, you'll do a, an excellent job of beating your own self up mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, you don't uh, get healthy mentally as well as getting out of that physical situation. So I started drinking and, and really um, not making some great choices. Um, Luckily, I had some great friends that kind of saw that I had started down the self-destructive path, and um, I was very receptive to their intervention, um, so that was great. Um, started going back to school, we got a dental assisting degree, uh, got into dental assisting for a while, and that was great because I was then on a professional path, and um, that was super healthy for me. Uh, got decided I was going to go back to school. I wanted to be an interior designer, and in the course of that, um, met a wonderful, tall, dark, and handsome charming dude um, and that was about seven years later and so I figured okay I'm ready to do this again and he again was like I said tall dark and handsome check off all those physical things very attentive um, super into me and the things that I was trying to accomplish in my life, really supportive, um, had all the right answers, said all the right things. We dated for much longer. Um, he had his own bank account. He had just gotten out of the military. Um, I was 26. I thought he was 23. <laughs> So probably about eight months into that relationship, uh, we were talking about driver's license pictures one day. And without thinking, he handed me his driver's license. And as I went to hand it back to him, I realized he was really only 19. Oh, wow. And so um, I was like, wait. And so this 
all these bells start going off in my head, right? And I said, you totally lied to me. And of course, he gets a sweet smile on his face and he says, I know, but I knew you wouldn't date me if you knew how old I was. And women die or men die seven years before women anyway. So we should both die about the right time, the same time. Wow. <laughs> and of course, once again, I was so in love that I just was like, oh, how sweet. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, we did break up for a little while shortly after that, um, and we had set, we'd, this was like right after we had set a wedding date, and so anyways, probably about a month after that incident, we did break up because I, I had just some other things that were happening that I was like, ah, you know. I don't really know about this and he was getting cold feet so I was like let's just call this whole thing off and you know it's been great but so then of course because I failed once already right I was started telling myself that oh you're just nervous and he's super sweet and he's like totally into you and all this other stuff, and so I went over there one day, and he said, let's elope, we're just going to elope, I'll take you right now, we'll go to Carson City, Nevada, I had a great friend that lived there, and we'll just get married right now, and so I was like, well, I don't know, and of course, you know, again, he knew all the right things to say. <laughs> and <laughs> so we got in the car and we drove to Carson City, Nevada, and we got married. So for a while, everything really was great. And then he started drinking. And I wound up on an 18-year alcoholic, bipolar, narcissistic roller coaster. And when things were great, they were great. I mean, like, heavenly great. And when they were bad, they were super bad. Um, I'd mop up the messes, and we'd start all over again. And about every year and a half to two and a half years, we'd be at the top of our game and he would start drinking again and everything would just implode. Um, women stay in relationships for Many, many different reasons. And I went through a large gamut of reasons why I stayed. Um, the beginning with because I had failed the first time. So I figured he wasn't physically abusing me, right? Mm -hmm. So... It was always something I could fix. Every time he blew it up, I could fix it. And like I said, we'd mop it up. I'd, you know, go around and fix all, everything, and we'd be back on our way again. And then the kids came along. And so then, of course, you can't leave because you've got kids, right? Mm. And... I had, I got a job driving school bus for special needs kids. I absolutely loved it. I was out of work when my kids were off of school. It's a fabulous mom job. 
it would have also been a fabulous single mom job. But, you know, I had kids, so I really needed to make this work. And then once I learned his patterns, I felt like, well, I was doing my duty to the world because <laughs> I was saving other women from having to deal with him. Uh. And then when he cheated on me, I was like, well, I guess maybe I'm not saving him from the world, right? Mm-hmm. But every relationship has its good and bad. And I had always gone to church. Um, at that time, I went through times where I was very spiritual and times where I was very religious. And there's a big difference. Um, and so I, again, didn't want to leave because I didn't want to fail again. I knew his cycles. Um, he wasn't, you know, mean or nasty or um, negative in any way towards the kids at that point. And so I was like, I'm just going to stick this out. I need to stick this out. I'm not going to fail again. And so anyway, I've learned so much over the course of putting myself through all of that. And, of course, I would never do it again. I know I had gotten to the point towards the end where I was living in my head, I could say from the neck up. I had emotionally separated myself from everyone and everything in, except my kids. I was still emotionally connected to them. I was very hyper vigilant about um, what was going on with them. We had moved to Missouri. We had a huge blowout in California. Um, we went on a genealogical trek to Missouri because, again, that's where my dad had grown up and left. And we never went there. We traveled a lot when I was a kid, but we never went there. Um, and so we went there on a genealogical track and we'd always wanted to build a house, but of course, because of the way he cycled and his financial in irresponsibility, um, I didn't want to do that because I was just, again, afraid of what would happen. Cause I always lived my life knowing that at some point the shoe was going to drop right? Anytime after we hit a year and a half, if things were still good, I knew it was only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we, I bought property and then we eventually, I sold my house in California. Um, right prior to this selling of the house, we had um, gotten legally separated because of his instability um, and the cheating, we had legally separated to, when you get legally separated, it financially like divorces you from the other person, but you're still legally married. So you're not divorced. And a lot of people don't even realize that people that are legally separated are still legally married, but your finances are separate. So in that, I had done something that was very smart economically, which was I gave him all the things in the separation, and I retained the house. So when I sold the house and bought the property, I bought the property in my name. And when we built the new home, I built the new home. The construction loan and everything was all in my name. So we moved to Missouri and again for about two and a half years everything was beautiful. We built our dream home. Um, the 
Lord, let me live in it for about a year and a half. And he was working for a Homeland Security contractor. And so he was flying back and forth to D.C. a lot. Our kids were in school. They had great new friends. Um, and I was making new friends. And life, again, was just fabulous. We entertained at the house. We had a lake out there. And um, it was just really beautiful. Um, well, I'm not sure if, how much you fly, but once you start flying a lot, they start upgrading you. Mm. And in first class, everything is free, including the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately unbeknownst to me he started drinking again and I could see a little bit of a shift in him and I thought he was just stressed because they were he was going back and forth to DC a little more often than normal um, and so anyway one day when he left and flew to D.C., he had been drinking on the plane, got in a company-rented car, got busted in D.C. for drunk driving, proceeded to not only get thrown in jail, but uh, get fired by his employer because, of course, is a Homeland Security contractor. Okay. So the last thing that they will tolerate is anybody that gets arrested for anything right because they lose all their contracts with the government mm -hmm. if they don't keep a handle on that so he came home and of course he had lied to me about being fired and as i was unpacking his bag i found the letter and confronted him with it he went off the deep end, stormed out of the house. I started out of the house after him, like I had done many times before. And as I got out onto the driveway and started to say, it'll be okay. We've been through this, you know, before. We can turn it all around. I got this sick black, like this huge black cloud descended over me and just engulfed my entire, entire being. And it was the most bizarre thing. And I still can remember it so vividly. And I knew at that very moment that that was the beginning of the end. That it was my higher power, which I call God, telling me that I was no longer responsible for continuing this relationship. And that was really tough because I had perpetuated myself in that for 18 years at that point, right? Yeah. I've got this gorgeous house, these two kids, and so that was just really bizarre. Um, he had been treated for depression for a really long time, but that never helped with the high end. They had wanted to um, start him on a program for bipolar, and he refused to go because you have to go fairly often in the beginning so that they can properly get you adjusted, you know, because right. um, they don't want to get you adjusted too high or too low, or turn you into a zombie, you know, all these other things that come with the psychotropic medications. Um, so anyway, I started at that point 
to try to figure out with a few um, close friends that I knew that I could trust to go to them and say, hey, you know, this is going on for me um, to learn to unravel that situation. Of course, I knew his drinking would get worse, and it did. Um, so I wasn't, uh, like, caught out of left field when that continued to happen because that was part of his destructive cycle. So as he started to self-destruct, I was in the process of trying to um, get all my pieces together, you know, before um, everything kind of hit the fan. And he read a 4-H event one night with my daughter. And I had taken away his garage door opener. I had taken away his keys. Um, I hadn't changed the lock because I had trusted him that he had given me his keys. And um, he called me up and he said, um, I really need to uh, go to the bathroom when are you coming home. And I said, well, the event has about another hour. Why don't you come down here? And he got super angry. And um, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but for whatever reason, someone out there needs to hear this. Um, he got super angry and he said, well, I'm just done. I'm leaving, which didn't really bother me, right? Because I had already emotionally, I mean, he, it was interesting because um, people who are narcissistic are not um, really emotionally involved with the people that are close to them, though right. people who are on the outside, they will bend over backwards for to um, continue to perpetuate that um, persona that they have a perfect life. So I asked the gal that was there at the event to uh, bring my daughter home. I went home. He wasn't there, but I could tell he had been in the house, which was a little unnerving um, because he supposedly didn't have any keys, right? Right. And he didn't have a garage door opener. And so he called me at one point about 10 minutes later, and he said, did I just pass you? And I said, yes. And I, he said, well, I had told you that I, I was, wasn't staying, that I was going elsewhere. And I said, that's fine. And he came back home and proceeded to grab a suitcase and pack a bag. And um, I came upstairs at one point because I could hear him. And um, he just came unhinged and started screaming at me. And I told him, I said, I'm not going to stop you. You know, go ahead and pack. If you want to leave, leave. And I was just ironically so calm about the whole thing. And I wasn't really scared at that moment, um, which again, looking back on it was odd because I should have been petrified because he was super angry. And um, he chucked the suitcase out into the hallway and it landed actually into the wall um, across the hall and then just went on a self-destructive path, just ripping things out of the wall and screaming at me. And he wasn't physically abusive at all. Um, ripped the phones out of the wall, um, except the one in the kitchen. Uh, ripped the computers out of the wall, ripped lighting uh, out of the sockets. It was just bizarre. And I was like, probably in shock at that point, I more than anything. And then he grabbed his bag and some, 
uh, can't remember what else he took, stuck it in the car and left. And I lowered the garage door and I proceeded to call 911. Um, and this is a kind of funny fact. I don't, it, you can't hang up on 911, no. which I didn't know until he came back. And I hung the phone up. And I thought, well, maybe I just hadn't locked the side door because he came in through the side door. And he came back for something else. I don't remember what it was. And I was just kind of standing, sitting there with the phone in my hand. And he was looking at me kind of weird and just kind of blew past me and grabbed the thing that he was going to get and went back out. So I went around, I made sure all the doors and windows were locked, the garage door was down, everything down in the basement was locked up, picked the phone back up, and the 911 operator was still there. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, you're still here? And she said, yes, are you okay? And I said, yeah, he came back. She said, if he comes back again, don't hang up. And so I said, okay. But he doesn't have keys, so he can't get in. And everything's locked now. I made sure of that. And as I was talking to her, and she had dispatched um, the sheriff's, but we lived out in a rural area. And they hadn't gotten there yet, and he came back again. And he came in the front door, and the front door was locked. But I was sitting there on the stairs, and I told her, it's okay, it's locked, he can't get in. He proceeded to unlock the front door. And he came in, and I asked him for his key. And he actually handed it to me. And I don't know where I got the courage at that moment. But anyway, he came back for the PlayStation, so... I went and got him the PlayStation, handed him the PlayStation, and he left again. And so I learned the whole world of restraining orders and court and all of that stuff. But, you know, I, I got beyond that, got the house sold, moved into town, um, finalized the divorce, um, went through all the other stuff that came along with all of that ugliness. And it's interesting, as we cut away all the negative from our life, we can start to listen to that little voice inside of us again that can tell us what to do and what steps to take and how to empower ourselves. And I just want all your listeners to know that no matter whether it's physical or mental or whatever it is that they're going through, that there is life on the other side of that. And I just think that that's so important for them to know. That is definitely a, a great message. And what a story. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, anybody that knows my story knows that I have also had my share of issues with men and abuses and the like. And so, you know, during your first story, I was kind of over here tearing up a little bit because um, this, I also had somebody, I was only 19, who was very abusive and he was just really off the rails. And the thing that really struck me um, that I really want the audience to take away, uh, if you do see or suspect something like this going on, you know, do what Joyce said and say something. Because right. I know in my case, when this guy finally left my life, um, my mother said to me, I'm so glad he left because you would, he would kill you. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget that. And I think to myself, why didn't anybody advocate <laughs> for me or say something, you know, while this was happening? Because my friends saw it too. They talk about it even to this day. Right. So, you know, you guys, you have to speak up because when women get into these situations, 
we literally can't often can't see what's happening right or like Joyce said in both cases she loved him so much um you know you just keep going so I just really right. wanted to emphasize that point that you made and then I have a question for you what do you what do you say to the listeners who get into situations like this and are actually lucky enough to realize that they need to get out of it, but they really don't have that, you know, that inner strength that, that you talked about that I, that I mentioned to get out of there because they're in love or they're scared to, or whatever it is when they finally get that courage, but they don't have any support. What do you, what do you say to those women? Where do they go if they don't have supportive family or friends or anything like that? Right. Um, I would encourage them definitely to reach out to organizations within their community. Most communities, especially a rural community, will have a larger community that they partner with that can support those women. Because unfortunately, it is a super common thing in our society. Now, of course, the physical abuse is much easier to go to the police with. They can see bru external bruising, right? But women who are mentally abused and who have maybe narcissistic partners or bipolar partners or any other of the gamut of mental illness that becomes physically abusive, to reach out and um, if they can't find, be resourceful on their own to f try to find a coach or a counselor in their community, there's lots of coaches. Um, nowadays, coaching is much more prevalent than it used to be. So, and you can usually find a coach even if there's not one in your community that from the outside can help you find resources that are near to you. Um, I'm a huge, I am a coach, but I'm also a huge advocate for all sorts of kinds of coaching because, you know, when we're in that forest, as you mentioned, we can't always see our way out. And someone who is on the outside is always better equipped to help us navigate through whatever it is that we've gotten ourselves into. Thank you for that. So definitely, like I said, just a powerful, powerful story and episode. And I know that a lot of people are going to definitely relate to this. Unfortunately, it is way too common. Um, you know, even the narcissistic behavior, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've certainly had my share of those as well, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes we tend to stay in that pattern until we, you know, until we realize it. Um, so, uh, Joyce, I'm sure that there are people, you know, listening and in the audience who would really love to connect with you. And um, so how can they go about finding you on social media or, or wherever? Right. Um, you can connect with me on both Facebook and on Instagram. Um, the extension for both is the same. So it would be like Facebook or Instagram slash empowering you L E C. And you can also email me at Joyce at EmpoweringULEC.com. Awesome. Great. Well, I know that, um, you know, a lot of my listeners are on Facebook and we love some Instagram too. So I'm sure that they will be um, searching for you on there. And I thank you so much for sharing your story. Again, so impactful. And, um, you know, I said when I started this show that I was afraid I was going to cry through all of these, <laughs> these stories. And like I said, you know, your first story was definitely relatable for me. And I think 
it will be for the audience as well. So thank you for, for coming on on a, a Friday night. I know it's, it's a different time for you. But, oh, um, you're I'm welcome. Gonna... It was my pleasure. It's, you know, something that obviously as, you know, we learn and we go through these experiences, it's, you know, so empowering for other people. If we don't share what we've been through, then we've been through it for naught, right? Yes. So it's important for us to speak up and speak out and help those around us that need us, so... Thank you for having me. It was a it was great being here. Well, thank you again. And to the audience, I am so excited that you guys are on this journey with me. Uh, you guys know that this podcast is definitely uh, one of my heart-centered things that I am doing. And so I'm very, I feel very blessed and honored that you are here. And I will see all of you in the next episode. And again, thank you so much to Joyce. You're so welcome. Thank you, Suzanne, for having me again. Thank you for listening today. I hope that you found some inspiration from today's episode. If you would like to find me and check me out, you can head over to SuzanneProxa.com. Or if you are a female entrepreneur who is purpose-driven, head over to my Facebook group at fempreneurs.biz. Thank you so much for listening today, and I will see you in the next episode.